1: What up? Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM. Trying to get you up and moving for another Saturday, ready to go for another week. What the heck's happening in your world? Are you staying cool? Because this 102, 103 degree temperature is not okay with me. Not okay. Still, it's a little bit warm. Welcome into the program. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we'd love to hear from you got a loaded show for you today as we are officially what one hold on let me get my calendar here one two three two and a half weeks away from primary election season here in the state of kansas are you ready do you know the candidates that you're voting for do you know the issues that you're voting for do you know when and where you go to the polls to cast your ballot we'll talk about all that and more coming up on the program we've got a couple of candidates on the show bottom of the hour here in about 20 minutes joe Seiwer state representative and uh for district number 101 one of the few republican primaries that we actually have in the area we'll talk with him coming up at the bottom of the hour for the state legislative seat we'll talk about the legislative recap his thoughts campaign trail and a heck of a lot more hour number two big uh, big hour for you tony Mativi, candidate for attorney general he'll be joining us live on the program to talk about the race and how things are going before the primary kickoff also dave Trauber at the bottom of next hour to wrap up the program with the Kansas Policy Institute. We'll talk about some of the latest from Governor Laura Kelly. I don't know if you saw or not, but she's got some big plans for the state. And when I say big plans, I mean that she has a lot of government money to try and hand out for grants and giveaways and goodies to try to invest in economic growth in our state that I find quite interesting. So we'll talk about some of that and more coming up on the program. But the first half hour, it is open lines to you at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. There's a lot to talk about With issues going on in the state, obviously, because we have uh, the abortion issue that is causing some havoc here in the state. As you know, we have the Value Them Both bill coming up on the August 2nd primary ballot for individuals to vote on. But at the same time, there are the activists on the other side of the aisle that are just being angry. And they don't want to have a civil dialogue. They don't want to win us over by ideas. They want to win us over by emotional rage, which is what the other side of the aisle, unfortunately, is very good at doing. So what have we seen across the state of Kansas? Well, according to here in Wichita, in the area, we've seen abortion groups apparently uh, have intimidation and vandalization acts against certain properties at Kansas churches and certain health care clinics, and uh, as they try to show their, um, I guess, civil conversation about their disagreement with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Well, that's not necessarily what's happening, but that's what they say, because to them, when they have their privileges taken away, which it's because, remember, abortion's not a right. It's just, a, uh, I guess, a privilege to do something horrendous, I guess. But if that's what you want to do, that's cool. But the conversation is now down at the statewide levels, as we've talked about over the last week or so, which allows individuals to have a louder voice on the issue. So make your voice heard. Make your voice heard. Win people over by a dialogue and by a conversation, not by going and vandalizing churches and those that disagree with you because that is not going to help your agenda in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it actually does the opposite. And it actually makes you look a little bit foolish. So we'll get into that here in just a little bit as well. Plus some national issues going on this week. Joe Biden and the Biden administration signed a plethora of executive actions on the federal level trying to protect and reverse some of the Supreme Court decisions over the last few weeks regarding Roe v. Wade, regarding guns, regarding the separation of quote-unquote church and state, regarding the protections of the EPA. Yet the Democrats have lost their entire platform on the national level so now going so close into election season a few weeks or a few months away from the november election in the midterms they don't have a platform to stand on because everything that they've wanted to do has essentially been shut down by the u.s supreme court on what they're allowed and not allowed to do and that hurts them right where it's supposed to hurt which is big government utopia you're not allowed to decide on greenhouse gas emissions and carbon emissions, just solely based on an executive action signed by the president that was written by a fourth branch of government with the bureaucratic state of the Environmental Protection Agency. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You actually have to sign a congressional bill, and Congress has to write it and pass it and debate it and then make sure it's valid with the Supreme Court, that it's constitutional, and they have that right and ability, and then signed by the president. But that's not the way things are wanting to roll here. So according to CNN, they, uh, we are seeing kind of a slew of 10 different executive actions. Which, again, I find ironic is Joe Biden is already up there on having the most executive orders in an administration so far. Just in the first year and a half so far with his uh, year over year compared to Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George W. Bush or anybody else prior to. The 10 new executive orders from the Biden administration developed with progressive allies in the consultation with key stakeholders, according to CNN, as they present the new set of objectives for Democrats to strive for a new roadmap for Democrat voters to cling to, and a new pressure point between progressives and the Biden administration. The Senate lacking the votes to codify Roe v. Wade or the willingness to change the rules to pass legislation with that simple majority. The executive actions have materialized as the new avenue for Democrats to pursue. Now, that's according to CNN. I would like to remind real briefly the way that our government functions, or at least the way the government's supposed to function. executive orders aren't really a thing except for, for like, administrative duties. That's about it. All the way back when, during the beginning of the country, we had no fourth branch of government for all these different agencies and departments and everything else, and we functioned just fine. In fact, we flourished really well. We started slowing our growth and slowing how well our country did in the 40s and 50s and 60s when we started creating this administrative branch of our federal government because now they control all the power. And oh, by the way, we don't have any say on who runs them, nor do they get elected to where we get to choose them or have any transparency with them. They just kind of come and go with the tide of the flavor of the presidency and how Congress approves them or disapproves of them. And that's really just the heads of them. Everybody else working behind the scenes is still an unverified, untransparent, unelected official that's making things happen, growing the administrative state at our federal level. So we have some issues to work on, I think, at the federal level. The slate of the executive actions that don't do anything, because when the Supreme Court rules something down, then the only way you can overturn that is through congressional bills that are voted on with two-thirds majority and then signed by the president. You can't just sign an executive order and poof! Because if we want that, we can go back to the kingship of the uh, country of England, and we can have... The uh, to, you know, we can just shred the Magna Carta. We can shed the Declaration of Independence and we can just say, hey, we want a king to rule by executive order all over again, which apparently is what Democrats want, because this doesn't make any sense to me. One executive order calls for the action for the Department of Health and Human Services to require all hospitals who take part in Medicare to provide for abortion care. Two executive actions call on the Biden administration to ensure undocumented people and those in federal custody have access to abortion care, building on the reproductive rights task force announced by the Department of Justice. So, let me get this straight. One of them, that if you're on Medicare, if you're on the federal government program, then you still have access to abortion. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I could totally be off the wall here. I thought that Medicare was essentially for those at retirement age that are that are mandated to get Medicare, by the way, once they retire and they're on their Social Security or they're on whatever, then they have to get Medicare, or individuals that are on like extreme disability. I thought that's what Medicare was for. I don't know many Medicare individuals that will be getting an abortion anytime soon. Could be wrong on that, but that's what I'm aware of that if you're on Medicare, you probably don't need the access to abortion. So that one's kind of a feel-good executive order to say, ha-ha, we protected it for a certain class of people, that if you're on Medicare, Medicare is still going to be able to supply the abortion coverage for you. Now, the abortion still has to be done in states that actually allow it because states now are allowed to make their own decisions on uh, if you're allowed to or not allowed to. And let me remind you that if you are here in the state of Kansas and you're listening to this program obviously because it's a local program here in Wichita area, then this this value then both bill does not, and I reiterate, does not ban abortion in the state. It does not do that. So those that are still trying to use the ridiculous, absurd campaign tactics of, oh, it's going to get rid of the rights of women, it's going to kill off individuals. I love the media, how they're trying to find literally the most devastating, horrendous news stories out there to try and scare us, into supporting abortion because the the, the top of the hour CBS News, if anybody listened to it, I heard the news of saying, oh, the uh, 10-year-old girl that was raped and is now pregnant and we need to protect her. There is not a single human being out there that has not come out and said that if the life of someone is in danger, then there needs to be a serious conversation of what needs to take place. There is not a single individual out there that I'm aware of that is saying we need to get rid of all contraceptives or birth control for women, Because not only does it try and prevent you from getting pregnant, which if we're trying to talk about the abortion issue, then yeah, use contraceptives if you don't want a child because that would be the proper way to do things without actually getting pregnant. What a concept. No one's talking about those. At the same point, we understand as well that women use those for hormonal uh, issues as well. So yeah, contraceptives and birth controls are not on the table to be banned. We're not talking about the uh, woman that's going to get Uh, infections because the baby dies inside of her and then poisons her body and kills her. No one is talking about those scenarios. So stop the hyperbole and the over-exaggerated scare tactics of saying that we're just going to ban all abortions like this and just let women die in the streets from infection. This is absurd. And the value them both bill here in Kansas does not ban abortion. Many individuals may want to ban abortion in Kansas, and that could be the next stepping stone if that's the direction we choose to go as a state. But the value of them both bill does not be an abortion. It only allows us to put restrictions on abortion to say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't allow someone to have an abortion at nine months pregnant when they're about to give birth. I mean, I don't know why that's such a controversial point, but nonetheless. So if you're on Medicare, though, apparently you can still get your abortion rights uh, protected, and Medicare is going to cover it for you. So I'm so glad that the Uh, the retired individuals that are on Social Security and Medicare are going to have access to abortion. The other one, of course, is going to be the ones for the undocumented individuals, a.k.a. the illegal immigrants that are being held in custody that want to have an abortion, that they also have their rights protected as well. And the only reason they can get away with that is because, obviously, the government at that time, if they're – Uh, If they're being held in federal custody for being an illegal immigrant, they're not adherent to the federal laws and they're being taken care of by the federal government. And the federal government says that they're going to offer it. So that's how they're able to get away with it. Outside of that, the states, you have the free reign. Now, there is one thing that I think is a little concerning, and I don't want to get into it today because we obviously don't have a whole lot of time for it today right now. But there is the issue of those states wanting to criminalize those within their states that choose to go to another state to get an abortion, which I think is completely wrong. And I know Missouri has worked on uh, legislation like that, trying to uh, create it as a civil lawsuit and uh, civil charges to go after someone who chooses to go to another state to get an abortion. I think that's a little excessive and a little absurd, and I do not support that in any way, shape, or form. Because you have set your groundwork for what you do in your state. You can't kind of control and dictate what people do outside of state lines that's kind of like the whole national reciprocity thing for the second amendment issue we want national reciprocity we want to be able to go to another state and still have our concealed carry licenses recognized so we can still carry our firearm for protection no matter where we're at across the nation we want to be able to go to other states and have free reign to do what we do. That's like Kansas telling individuals that you're not allowed to go across state lines to buy groceries because they don't have sales food, uh, sales tax on food in Missouri. So therefore, if you go over there, we're going to criminally charge you for not staying in Kansas and actually buying your groceries. Doesn't make any sense to me because what you do in your state is your business. What you do outside of the state is not the business of that state in any way, shape, or form. I do not support that, and I hope that Missouri shoots that down pretty quickly. There we go. Threw a whole lot of slew of things out there for you. I want to get your thoughts on all that. Plus, Governor Kelly came out and has announced some new big projects in the state, a.k.a. a whole bunch of grants and a whole bunch of uh, government investment into businesses wanting to come in and create some job growth and some economic growth in the state. Is it going to work? Is it a good idea? And one of them, including Panasonic, with their battery making for electric vehicles. We'll talk with Dave Chabert about that next hour a little bit as well, but I want to get your thoughts on it here in just a bit. We'll take a break here. Kansas Talk, making it happen here for another Kansas Saturday here. First thing in the morning, let's get you up and going here. It's Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Into the program here on Kansas Talk here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning as you do every single week, trying to recap the week, trying to talk about some statewide and local issues here in Kansas, getting you set for election season, baby, which I know you're excited about. Plus, we're going to start diversifying this program a little bit, not just talking all straight politics for two hours, as there's a lot of other things I want to talk about. Obviously, we have other interests in just getting angry first thing on a Saturday morning. And this abortion issue is a really difficult one because I don't like talking about it on the show. You're never going to change anybody's mind regarding abortion one way or the other because it's a very uh, close-to-heart, personal, emotional issue. And so you're never going to win anybody over one way or the other with the conversation. But now that it's in the news, it's time to have a conversation about it. And if the left side of the aisle wouldn't be so crazy, radical, and drastic – about we should wait until like the the third trimester, the ninth month, as we're about ready to go into labor, and advocating for abortions even at that level. If we could just go into a reasonable conversation about the actual scenarios, the limited, minimal scenarios of a 10-year-old getting raped, of someone who's on their deathbed, on issues that are severe. We can have those conversations. We could find a lot of common ground for those scenarios. But instead, they're like, we just want free reign whenever we want to, if we want to, at any time and any place. And that's just insane. That's just absolutely insane. And it's not a right. It's not a right. So I know it's an emotional issue. I don't like to talk about it much. But, you know, obviously now... Is the time to have that conversation. And the best way to have that conversation is at the local level and at the statewide level, not at the federal level. The federal level is so fake. It's kind of like Vegas. I just, I don't like, I like Vegas, but I don't like going to Las Vegas because Vegas is so fake. It's so fake. The palm trees there are plastic. You walk in and nothing is real. And it just bothers me. It's beautiful, but I don't like those places because it's just not real. You know, that uh, that kind of conversation, taking it to that level, is just not real. Let's have a real conversation. Washington, D.C. does not have a real conversation. They never – have a real conversation. It's all staged. It's all just going through the motion. They already have their minds made up before they even walk in there. You, they, they're not open minded to listen to anybody, anybody's conversation, even during committee hearings. It is there for the show, for the, to, for them to get their photo op, for them to get their nice little twenty second clip and their nice little twenty seconds of fame on media, uh, for the nice little outrageous thing they said, and then they move on about their day. Nothing in D.C. is real. Let's have the conversation here on the home front. Speaking of real conversations, I don't know if you're aware or not, but COVID-19's back in Kansas and you need to be scared of it. Did you hear? Did you hear <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard about being terrified of COVID-19 as the new variant, the BA.5, is now apparently the more severe quote unquote one. It's a variant of the Omicron variant, which was that was the third or fourth variant, right? We had the regular one and then we had the uh, so we had the Delta, I think, and then I think the Omicron. So I think that was the third variant that happened, and now this is a subvariant of the Omicron. Now, again, for those that don't know in the medical industry, and I'm not a medical expert, however, we've talked to many numerous medical experts on this program that when a new subvariant or a variant of a variant or a subvariant of a subvariant all comes out, they get weaker and weaker because they try to adapt to stay alive as a virus, because it's a living thing, a living organism, and in order to stay alive when there's people that are either have a strong immune system or uh, don't have a strong immune system but take the vaccine, whatever we end up doing with our own personal choices, then it can't survive. So it has to adapt. And the only way it knows how to adapt is to water itself down to be easily transmissible but less severe. This one seems to be a little bit more severe marginally than the other sub-variants, which means it's probably going to be harder to contract. At the same time though, that doesn't mean that it's going to be severe enough for us to lock everything down again, because case numbers are going up, but hospitalization rates have yet to go up still. What does that mean? That means it's not very dangerous. We're just getting it again. We're testing positive for it again. So don't panic, but I do find it ironic. It's also going into election season as well. When we come back right around the corner, Joe Seiwert, district number 101, state representative. We'll talk about legislative recap. We'll talk about the campaign trail. We'll talk about election seasons. Plus, we'll take your phone calls as well. Stay right here on Candace Talk on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM.
0: talk with andy hoosier
1: darn right joe welcome back into kansas talk right here on wichita's big talker making things happen for another saturday morning getting you up and moving trying to keep you cool keep you cool with this ridiculous triple digit weather i am scandinavian i am nordic i am irish and i am in from the north i like my cold that 30 40 degree temperatures that's what makes me happy it's triple digits man I went out and mowed last night, which there wasn't much to mow because the grass is half dead anyway, so I was, like, blowing dust around, but I mowed, and it was just brutal. These triple digits, man. My car, by the way, doesn't have air conditioning either, so I get to roll down the windows in my nice little 30-minute drive and cruise really fast, and that's what keeps me going every day. So there it is, trying to keep you cool on a Saturday morning. That's uh, It's going to be another hot one. It's supposed to get up to, like, 104, 105, 106 over the next few days and into middle of next week. Ugh. The next conversation, I guess, is to have as to whether we're going to see some energy brown and blackouts because, well, you know, the progressives. Let's just buy electric vehicles and plug our cars into our grid when our grid can't even handle what we're trying to do already as it is. Welcome back into the program. All of it presented by Phil's Coins. They're officially open right now until 2.30 this afternoon, 9344 West Central Avenue for buying, selling and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check him out online at philscoins.com. Go see Phil Martinez. Uh, Phil Martinez. He'll be back in the program next week or the week after. Have to check and see, but uh, he is always great to have on the program. Always good to talk with him and uh, go check him out. if He's really like the only guy in the Mid-America region that actually has gold and silver on hand for you for your investments. So whatever you're looking for, you can check him out. Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. All right. It's that time now that we are less than two and a half weeks away from election season officially. Let's shift gears a little bit to election time and talk with our next guest here on the
0: program as we go into... It's time to meet the candidate. The government works for us, not the other way around. Elections 2022. There
1: it is. So excited to have on the program. And this has been way too long since we've had this guy on, but he is the current state representative for District 101. And going into a primary race here, Mr. Joe Seibert. Joe, how are you, brother? Good to talk to you.
2: Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? This is Joe. Good to talk to you again. I missed business with you. I figured maybe you didn't like me. Oh,
1: (laughs) no. We love you. We love you. No, I know that you've been so busy. You are one of the busiest guys I know because you're not only a state rep and a business owner, and you work and then you have the farm, and you're just a busy guy, so we don't like to bug you too much, but it is always great to get you on the show and chat with you.
2: Great.
1: thanks you. Yeah. First, before we get into election season, I got to pick your brain a little bit on some of the legislative issues uh, over the last, uh, really, the year or two, because it's been wild. And with this year, it's been hard. We've had more Republicans and conservatives in the legislature passing some really good bills, but then we've had to bang our head against the wall trying to find enough votes to override the governor's vetoes, who says she's not a veto governor, but she's vetoed more things than I think the past couple governors in the state, hasn't she?
2: (laughs) Well... You know, you're right, Andy. And on a positive note, you know, I try to look at the positive side of things. And for our Democratic governor, she holds the record for the most vetoes in one session, so that's a positive.
1: No, oh, yeah, that's a that's a positive there. What? Uh, how did you think this legislative session went? I mean, because it sounded like you guys were able to crank through some decent amount of bills this year.
2: We went through quite a few. There was quite a few that never made it to a committee, and the number of them didn't make it to the floor, but. We did a pretty good job, I think. We tried with the way the session was. Compared to last year, of course, um, a lot of changes, and um, a lot of things came out. So it it went good. There was a lot of bills passed that were good, a lot of contentious bills, the women in sports bill, you know, um, obviously the constitutional amendment and some others, so you've Got any questions on some of them? I'll try to make an answer for you. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, let's talk about that women's uh, sports bill because that's been two years now, I believe, that we've tried that on the Senate side. Renee Erickson, uh, Senator Renee Erickson, is the one that's been trying to push that one through the Senate side. Uh, and it sounds like we have the major, the basic majority to pass it, but we just haven't been able to push it over the line with a veto override. But uh, how'd that conversation go this year on the floor?
2: Well. It went real good in the House. I think we did a pretty good job, and I'm trying to remember the numbers, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that it failed by one vote with a Sedgwick senator that uh, voted against the veto override, so it failed the first time on that. It made it in the House, and then the second time we went through the House side, didn't get it. We had several Republican legislators that didn't support it. Which was kind of depressing, but you know that's that's why the, that's how it goes. Sure. Uh, just need to put those people on a vote record so their constituents uh, know how they're voting.
1: Yeah, that is very true. Very true. No, I know you're on the agriculture bill uh, on the agricultural committee, and I know obviously being a farm guy yourself. There was a lot of uh, conversation this year regarding the uh, the water bill that was uh, that was focused on across the state. Your thoughts on that bill that didn't go through? The Kansas Farm Bureau actually uh, came out against that bill as well. Uh, but there was a lot of contentious discussion on that one as well too.
2: Yeah, that's been a con- that, that water issue is going to be one of the things for the future of the state. My dad when I was a kid, I grew up <clears throat> excuse me. I grew up in the bottom of Cheney Lake. And uh, we lived next to the river that's water supply now for Wichita. And that river ran full bumper to bumper, side to side. Excuse me, I don't know why I got that. Um, But um, he said water will be worth more than oil someday. And, you know, again, we lived on the river uh, where I live now, a mile and a half from Cheney Lake. You know, the water was uh, 10 feet from the surface here had cricks running through my pasture when I bought that, which is called a live stream, which made the property worth more money because you had water through your cattle. Sure. Well, I don't know what's causing it, but the water tables dropped. And I'm going to say maybe it has something to do with irrigation. And people think I'm against irrigation. I'm not against irrigation. I'm not. The farmers didn't cause this problem. The farmers do what the government does. And for the last, since 1945, when they created the water rights bill, there wasn't much irrigation in 1945. So it was an interesting time in that period. So the government comes in and says, we're from the government, we're here to help. Hmm. Um, so they created legislation. And I think it was good at the time, but the bills and, and the laws in 1945 were completely different than they are in, in 2022. Sure. So the issue is who actually owns the water and who has a right to it. And for years, it used to be when I started 16 years ago, I was on the Energy, Water, and Environment Committee, and they took water off and gave it to, it has been broken up several times now to form its own committee to study it. But all, <clears throat> what it all boils down to, Andy, is we got six layers of government to supposed to be protecting us on water. And I hate to say it, but it seems like government's failed us because six layers and we got a water issue now.
1: Yeah, there's a water issue really across the state. I know the western part of the state, they always have that issue with the Ogallala, uh, the Ogallala Aquifer, trying to maintain that one and see what they can do with the irrigation on this end of the state. You know, it's especially with this extreme heat, as we just were talking about with these triple-digit weather here, I mean, we're dry. My grass is almost dead, and, you know, we're we're talking about potential water restrictions because of how hot it is and how much uh, water that individuals are using. I mean, are we in a bad state? I know that you guys just wrapped up a lot of the wheat harvest across most of Kansas as that's moving its way north into Nebraska. But, I mean, when it comes to crops that are in the ground right now with the spring planting, are they struggling because of some of the heat and some of the dryness?
2: Well, especially the ones that are not irrigated. You know, you <clears throat> drive through the state, and you can see that the dry spots in a field. I noticed yesterday I was in Valley Center for a meeting, and I was coming back through my area there. And the dry land beings, you can see them suffering. Of course, they have for years. You know, I mean, we've always had dry summers, and being a farmer, I, you know, you pay a little more attention to it than most people. But yes, uh, we're definitely in a stage, you know, Pretty Prairie has been noted uh, for water issues with high nitrates. And the, I have all the paperwork from the federal government that shows that the point source of pollution was uh, over-irrigation and nitrogen fertilizers. And the sad part about that is, you know, Farm Bureau and KLA and all them are trying to trying to come to a reasonable used for it because you know agriculture is very dependent on water and again i'm not saying it's any of the farmers fault sure. the farmers are doing what they were licensed to do or papered to do the monitoring system the people in the federal or state government federal government that are supposed to be watching us and be experts in this field are the ones that got us into this situation sure. it's even like the water supply from wichita you know um Roughly six hundred thousand people, you know, and, and it. What happens if you do run out of water? What happens? Where are you going to get it? And that's one of the things. Uh, it's going to be in the future, and it goes back to the '50s when we grew up on the lake or the bottom of the lake. My dad said, someday water is going to be more valuable than oil, and I, I believe he might have hit on something there, you know.
1: Sure. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a scary thought to think about if the water ends up running dry. So what's the next step in the water discussion now that this water bill from this year in the legislature failed, which I get, I mean, because there's so many different unique ways to need water in Kansas and especially agriculture, like you said, between irrigation, between the uh, t- uh, the aquifers, like on the western part of the state, what is the next step and will water rights come back down to maybe local community levels or is it still going to be kind of overseen statewide?
2: Well, that's the contentious part of it Andy um, who owns it yeah. and it goes back to the 1945 laws you know first in time first in right uh, you know I tried to I'm going to go back to our government monitoring the system you know I've been farming for since 47 years and when I bought the land and stuff like that I was like my dad I tried to get my water rights and park it so for the future for my kids I didn't need them now we could grow water or not grow water but we had water running through our pasture and everything like that. However, the government law says if you get an irrigation permit, you have to use it or you're going to lose it, which is stupid. Mm. You know, the farmers are trying to be conservative. You know, 95 of the farmers do a great job. You know, but when you're allocated so much water, you have to pump it or you lose it. Brownback tried to change that the use it or lose it laws and say if you say you're given roughly 15 inch supply a year of water that you can pump. And that's not how they do it, but it's the easiest way to explain it to people that might not know, understand it. So you're allowed to put on 15 inches of water like rain. Um, If you don't need that because we have a wet year and you only need 10 inches, that means you've got to pump that water on that field to keep that five inches or next year you won't get to use it.
1: Sure.
2: And um, that's that use or lose it. First in time, first in right. And I understand that, too. However, some of these areas uh, in western Kansas and around here, one guy would go out and get five or ten rights. Well, what about the guy that only has two pieces of property? Where's his right to that water, you know? So it's, it's a contentious deal. It really is. Farm Bureau... And like I said, KLA or Kansas Livestock Association, they've been very involved in it, trying to protect everybody's rights, because it's even like the livestock producer. He only gets half the rights of the water as a, a dry land irrigator does. Sure. But the use of it, and in today's technology, we're they're doing a great job. Of, the farmers are doing a great job of conservation on water. You know, They can even bury the or bury lines in the water in the field, so there's no surface uh what do you want to call it? Evaporation. Mm, wow! And they should be rewarded, and they should be helped on it, and and we should be changing that rule that instead of dumping twenty five inches of water on the ground, we're trying to conserve you and help you if you can do it with seven to ten inches. Sure. You know, that's, you t- know t- that you technology is getting better.
1: Me. Yeah, technology is getting yeah. better to do it more efficiently. That's amazing. I didn't even know you could do that.
2: Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I was talking to an irrigator uh, north of Wichita, there up in the Sedgwick area. And, you know, he's kind of proactive in that, and he's burying the lines 18-inch under, underground. And so you just sub-irrigate. That's the perfect way to do it because them roots are going to go down to the water instead of set on the top and want water. And then when it gets dry, it's like trees. Yeah. You know, if you get the water to the roots, they'll grow. But if they don't, they're going if to the, – if you water them all the time, they're going to get the roots on the top of the ground and create a mess.
1: Sure. We're talking with Joe Sywer, state representative for District 101. For those that's on the western part of Wichita, a little bit into Garden Plain up north into Haven and Pretty Prairie, Yoder, all the way up into the eastern little corner of Hutchinson as well. Uh, I could talk to you forever about so much of this stuff. We're running a little bit short on time here, but I do got to ask you one more question on agriculture. Is With some of the trade issues, with the inflation rates, with the Biden administration right now, causing havoc with a lot of the international markets. And then, of course, Russia and the Ukraine. How is, in your mind right now, when it comes to exports of our products, when it comes to cattle or with grain, how is the agriculture industry surviving? Are you guys surviving? And uh, what is the outlook in your mind over the next, uh, going into the end of the year?
2: Good question. Uh, good question. One thing I'll have to say about most of the farmers I know, they're very conservative. They're very ecologically trying to do their best job, and they're always optimistic. That's the biggest thing that I think helps agriculture. All the questions you ask, I don't know if there's a good answer to it now. You know, I've heard that uh, Russia is going into the Ukraine and burning the wheat fields. I don't know if that's yeah. true or not, but, yeah. you know, you can never believe everything you read, you know. And uh, that's going to be a concern, and it depends on where it's going. Uh, ethanol plants, you know, with all the corn um, feed feed substitutes you know there's a group trying to do away with cattle feeding but there's a lot of farmers again are going to graze and grass on a rotational basis and planting sorghums and feeds and wheats and grasses that they can eat eat off they move them bring them back in six weeks and doing a great job and i think i was talking to some of those guys the other day and they're doing a good job they said they're actually making more money than when they actually just planted the wheat but they're doing they're doing two things they're using natural resources they're using the grass and maybe recycling it you might want to say because when the cattle's running on the wheat field they're naturally organically fertilizing it to some extent you know it's not perfect but it does make a difference and so that's where i think it's going to be sustainable the difference supply and demand everything in agriculture is supply and demand and if you understand it you know what i mean Another problem with some of these things, we dump so much grain on the ground and we can't get rid of it. So the guy that's producing a lot, you know, kind of hurts the guy that's conservative, you know, because now he's not producing that much, but now the price has dropped because of the cost. However, been monitoring wheat and corn and soybeans, phenomenal prices this year. But from the time harvest hit in June, I can't remember the exact days I got it. I keep a record of it from every day of the week, you know, what the high, what the close was. And I remember right there before selling our wheat this year, wheat was over $11 a bushel. And by the time harvest was over within that 10-day period, was exactly what it was. Two weeks, it dropped below eight. <laughs> so that's a devastating deal on farmers because then they get in the middle of that area. Yeah. Do I sell it? Do I keep it? You know, it's kind of a dance you do. What do I do? And uh, it's coming back up. But I think when I looked at the markets yesterday, they closed. They were down again below eight. Uh, so it, it's a tough deal for agriculture because all their input costs up. You know, Ukraine and Russia, uh, China are the main producers of um, fertilizer bases and um, urea. Well, that goes into debt fluids too. And I understand too by what I've read that they're going to cut their em- exports to the United States. Well, if they do that, fertilizer went from about $190 a ton last year to almost $1,200 a ton. Sure. That affects agriculture and the production costs for farmers. But if it goes into the depth fluid that, you know, truckers use, and some of the tractors we use use depth fluid now, and if you can't get it, now you can't even run that tractor or that truck or deliver stuff. But it, it'll be so much easier when we can plug everything into the grid, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, It'll be great when we just uh, plug everything in there. I, I don't know how you guys do it in the agriculture industry because uh, I know you've talked about this many times before is that all the factors of how you survive or not survive is completely out of your hands between the prices of the markets and the grains and the cattle and the exports and the imports and the uh, to all the supplies that you need and all that. It's ridiculous how much that you guys survive when you have no control over the industry as well. So I give props to all the agriculture leaders out there, uh, Joe. We're out of time, my friend. We got just about thirty seconds here, but real quickly, let's talk about the election for a second. You do have a primary election, but how is the campaign going? And are you feeling good going into the election season?
2: Oh yeah, I think you know I've been through this. Will be my eighth one now or ninth one, and uh, I've had opponents, and I have no problem with my opponents. Like I said, we're friends. Both of them are good guys. Um, it's a citizen legislature, you know, and, and I always joke that you get the best legislation money can buy because you can see that by the campaign ads. So it depends on what the citizens know they people that they're voting for. I'm optimistic that um, there's going to be a lot of good people and hopefully good people get elected. And with that, we'll start the next year and be optimistic. I guess that's being a farmer. You, you're always optimistic. Like you said, you have no control of it. But you just got to think positive,
1: my friend. Just roll with the flow and stay optimistic about all of it. I love it. Joe Seibert, District Number 101. You guys got that primary coming up on August 2nd. Joe, it's good to talk to you, my friend. It's been way too long. Let's get you back on the show again here real soon as we get closer to election season again.
2: Okay, Andy. Hey, thank you, buddy. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. It makes
1: me feel good. Hey, always a pleasure. We love chatting with you, my friend. That's Joe Syworth there. We appreciate his time very, very much. Gave us a lot of time. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back, wrap up hour number one. Hour two, Tony Mativi, candidate for attorney general. He'll be joining us at the top of the hour, plus Dave Traubert at the Kansas Policy Institute. We'll wrap up the program with him next hour as well. It's Kansas Talk. It's this Saturday. It's all right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Welcome back into the program. Thanks again to Joe Sywert, state representative from District 101. Again, for those on the western part of Wichita, right on the clip there, Garden Plain, moving up to Pretty Prairie and Yoder, up into the slightly eastern uh, clip of Hutchinson as well. Uh, That's his district. He's one of the very few state representatives that has a primary coming up on August 2nd. So if you live in that area, get ready for that one. going to be a great election, but Joe's a great guy. We appreciate him coming on the program. We've had him on many times before talking about legislative issues, especially on that agricultural side. All right, our number one in the books. When we come back right around the corner, we're going to get back into election season again. Tony Mativi, candidate for uh, attorney general for the state of Kansas. That's one of the more hotly contested races here in the state, and uh, we will do that one here in just a moment. I don't know why that's playing, but all right, <laughs> we'll wrap up this right around the corner here on The Voice Reason. Stay here. It shoots once, and you have to reload it because by boom baby what up welcome back into kansas talk right here on wichita's big talker 1480 kqam hour number two ready to rock and roll for you kicking off your saturday morning like we do every single weekend trying to get you either angry or informed or entertained in some way shape or form that's what we're all about welcome into the program 316 721 8255 talk if you want to join into the show we would love to hear from you Got a loaded hour for you. Bottom of the hour, we have Dave Trobert, Kansas Policy Institute. He'll be joining. We'll talk about some of the quote-unquote investments that Governor Laura Kelly is making for economic and job growth here in the state. That was announced just a couple of days ago. I saw the video where she's up there. She had no clue what she was doing either. She had, she almost sounded like Joe Biden, or she was fumbling all over the place. Didn't know the name of the company that she was announcing with Panasonic where she made the announcement that Panasonic will be starting a a uh, factory here building batteries for the electric vehicles. They could be pumping in some money into the state, but is it worth it with state grants and some of that state money coming in? We'll talk about Dave Traveler and we'll talk about that issue and more coming up here in just a little bit. 316 721 all of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check them out online at philscoins.com. They're also open today until 2.30 this afternoon. Before we get into our next guest, real quickly as well, we see the ratings that come out about every month, every couple of months or so. And this program rocking it for Saturday morning programming, even compared to the other talk station in town. And uh, no competition, even with the other live talk uh, radio political host. That's there as well. We dominate this market with this talk show, with all the information we put out. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening. We love you guys to death. We are going on eight years on the air here. And it's been floating all around between the morning show during the week and the middle of the day. When I first started in Wichita just so many years ago, back in 2015, they put the show, The Voice of Reason, which is now the national show I do during the week. uh, We put that show right head to head with Rush Limbaugh from noon to two. And we started pulling some numbers, and then we went to the morning show, and now that national show's in the afternoon with our local program here on Saturday and still dominating. So we love you guys. I love being back here in Wichita and back in the community. We thank you guys and love you absolutely to death uh, for tuning into the program. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. We're going to continue on with our election coverage with our next guest on the program. It's
0: time to meet the candidate. The government works for us, not the other way around elections 2022
1: there it and excited to have on the program this is the more hotly contested race in the state of kansas as individuals are trying to figure out what to vote for who to vote for we've obviously talked about the value them both bill we've talked about some of the state legislative seats we have uh Derek schmidt candidate for governor coming on again next week with us as usual for our monthly update but in the attorney general's race a big race going on there with multiple candidates on the republican side who are you going to choose Coming up with that primary on August 2nd and on the line with us here, candidate for attorney general, Mr. Tony Mativi with us here. Tony, how are you, brother? Andy, thanks for having me on. I'm great. How are you this morning? I am living the dream. It's good to talk with you again. It has been a little bit. I tell you what, we're getting down to it. I can't believe two and uh, two and a half weeks left and we're we're just about there.
3: We are just about there. First, though, let me congratulate you on those numbers. That's really uh, that's really wonderful. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank
1: you. Thank you. It's been a, it's hard to believe. Looking back, that we started on the radio here in Wichita back in 2015. It's a, it makes me feel old. I, I didn't realize I've been in radio that long.
3: <laughs> well, good. For, good for you. Those are impressive numbers.
1: Uh, thank you. Well, it's a, talk about your campaign. How are things going? Uh, I know you've been on the campaign trail quite a bit. I see a lot of posts on social media. But uh, where have you been? What's been going on on the campaign trail?
3: we're making the rounds. We've been literally all over the state. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that I'm out. Uh, uh, I'm out placing highway signs today. So in uh, oh, Topeka and Holton. So we're pounding T posts and zip tying signs today, but uh, you know, we really have been traveling around all over the state, uh, not just Wichita, but Parsons, uh, Great Bend, Dodge, Garden, Hayes, uh, Leavenworth, uh, be at the Amelia Earhart Festival tonight. Uh, it's, it's really a tremendous uh opportunity for me to get out uh, all around the state and meet so many voters so many folks are are paying attention to this race uh, which i'm glad that they're doing you know this race presents a very sharp contrast between one Uh, outsider like me, a prosecutor, not a politician, someone who's never held office, never run for office uh, against two career politicians. So I'm happy to get out there and uh, and give the voters a choice.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Just for kind of a refresher for those that may not have heard you last time you were on the program or know much about your background, talk about a couple of the cases that you have been involved in and kind of uh, just a brief summary of your background.
3: Well, well, thanks, Andy. You bet. So I, I started out in the DA's office in Topeka in 1993 prosecuting speeding tickets. And I worked my way up to murder cases. And then I went to work in the Kansas Attorney General's office for two years. Uh, Somewhat surprisingly to me, I'm the only candidate for Kansas Attorney General who has worked in the office. And then in 1998, I started with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Topeka, first prosecuting meth lab cases all around the state. Uh, And then that sort of became a caseload where I had complex drug organization cases. Really fascinating, rewarding work where we went after Mexican drug cartels and Chinese organized crime. But then in 2007, I had a really unique opportunity. I, I volunteered to deploy as a civilian, uh, and I went to Iraq and worked on the war crimes trials. And I helped the Iraqis try and convict and later execute uh, Chemical Ali, uh, Saddam's cousin, Ali Hassan al-Majid. Uh, he was convicted for his part in war crimes and atrocities that were committed in 1991 in the Basra province of Iraq. So I came back from that to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Topeka. I handled. Uh, sort of major cases, kidnappings, carjackings, bank robberies, things like that. But uh, importantly, I did the office's death penalty litigation. Uh, A lot of people don't realize the Kansas Attorney General plays a role in every single death penalty case that's prosecuted in state court in Kansas. I'm the only candidate for Attorney General who's ever actually handled a death penalty case. I'm the only candidate who's been within 100 yards of a death penalty case. But uh, I did that until 2008. And then I had another really unique opportunity. The Department of Justice was, again, looking for volunteers with complex case experience, this time to go to Guantanamo and work on some of the Guantanamo cases. So I volunteered for that, and through an interesting twist of fate, I ended up as the lead prosecutor uh, on the USS Cole bombing case. And uh, I'll tell you what, Andy, when I started out prosecuting speeding tickets in Topeka in 1993, I had no idea that 15 years later I would be leading a joint military civilian team standing in front of a military judge in an expeditionary courtroom at Guantanamo, prosecuting the guy that Osama bin Laden sent to Yemen to blow up the USS Cole and kill 17 American sailors. So that was a a tremendously rewarding uh, opportunity. I did that for almost five years. And then I came back to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Topeka. And between then and when I retired in um, November of 2020, I had the privilege of prosecuting a number of very high-profile National security cases that uh, your viewers and listeners had probably uh, heard of. Um, I prosecuted Terry Lowen, the Wichita Airport bomber who radicalized online, joined Al Qaeda, and wanted to blow up the Wichita Airport. Prosecuted John Booker, a young man in Topeka who wanted to blow up Fort Riley after he radicalized online and joined ISIS. And then I prosecuted the three Southwest Kansas militia guys that uh, wanted to blow up the apartment building in Garden City. And uh, kill all the Somali refugees who lived there. So, I had the the wonderful privilege over the course of my career to prosecute some very interesting uh, and important cases. And then I retired in November of 2020 with no intention of running for office. I went to work for a healthcare company, and I now do civil litigation uh, in both state and federal court uh, for a healthcare company. So, uh, it, I've had a I've had a wonderful and rewarding career. But um, and like I said, I had no intention of running for office, but. Uh, As we watched this race shape up, we saw that only politicians were getting into the race, and and Mark Bennett, uh, your DA down there in Wichita came to me and and, uh, recruited me to run, and initially I told him no, but uh, ultimately he convinced me that it was the right thing to do.
1: Sure. The stories that you could tell that I'd love to hear one of these days with all the cases that you've heard and kind of the experiences that you've had. I mean, I'm sure they're fascinating. And I have to admit, uh, first, I think it's really awesome that you have been able to fight against some of the cartels coming from the southern border. I did not realize, though, that there were Asian or Chinese uh, cartels going on in Kansas, though. That kind of blew my mind.
3: Yeah. Chinese organized crime is involved in a lot of things as a country. Andy, I think we're just waking up to, to what the Chinese are doing to us. I mean, on one hand, they have weaponized our freedoms. They're using those freedoms against us, and they're stealing our intellectual property. Uh, I didn't mention that You know, part of my job as the national security coordinator for the District of Kansas was prosecuting cases where adverse foreign actors were, were coming into Kansas and stealing our intellectual property. I brought charges against the KU uh, uh, chemical engineering researching, research professor. But uh, not only are they coming here and stealing our intellectual property, they are also responsible for the fentanyl that's pouring into our communities, killing our young people, and really just destroying our communities from within. Uh, that's, that all traces back to China. Yeah. And uh, they are not a normal trading partner like this administration is treating. Them.
1: Sure. That is why we're talking with Tony Mativi, candidate for attorney general. You can find him online at TonyMativi.com. Let's talk about some of the federal issues here briefly. Is Obviously, the Supreme Court came down over the last few weeks and made some big rulings that have caused a lot of controversy, a lot of conversation, especially with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, the restrictions on the EPA with their carbon regulations and that sort of thing. As attorney general, if you end up getting into that seat, how important would that role be because I'm assuming after all the executive orders that the Biden administration's been signing, they're going to be coming after states. They're going to be threatening to pull out funding on certain programs. They're going to be threatening to overbear through executive action, trying to bully the states into doing their bidding to allow abortions or whatever else, especially with the restrictions we may be putting on with the value of them both, Bill, if that ends up passing. Is that something we need to be concerned about? And is that something that we have to be prepared to fight?
3: We should be both concerned and prepared, Andy. As a threshold matter, let's talk about value them both first, because to me, that is the most important conservative issue on the ballot in August. Uh, We have to pass value them both. I believe we will pass value them both. But when we pass that on August 2nd, that's just the first step. Uh, The the abortion industry and the pro-abortion lobby are going to come after value them both with both barrels blazing. Uh, Planned Parenthood, we know, is going to sue. The Center for Reproductive Rights exists to sue. And our next attorney general is the person who's going to be standing at the podium in front of the Kansas Supreme Court, defending value them both after it passes. I've been encouraging every voter that I've talked to, Andy, every one of your listeners, I would encourage to treat this election like it's a job interview, because that's what it is. They are, by choosing their next attorney general, they are hiring the lawyer is going to be standing at that podium representing their interests when it comes to value them both. And I think that they should take a look at the resumes of all three of these candidates and they'll see that one of my opponents has no courtroom experience whatsoever. And the other has quite a bit of courtroom experience, but it's not been successful. And so I urge them to look at the resumes of all three candidates and vote for the one that they would want defending their interests in court. Sure. And then as far as pushing back against federal overreach, absolutely the next attorney general is going to have to sue this administration whether it's for mandates whether it's for failing to enforce immigration laws or whether it's for their stance trying to take away our gun rights and impose red flag laws you know red flag laws are very very concerning to me andy for a number of reasons number one they're a complete denial of due process and due process is one of the basic foundations of our republic and then the other reason is i'll tell you that in 30 years as a prosecutor I never saw a case where somebody presented a tangible threat, and we weren't able to address that threat using laws on the books. So in my view, we don't need any more laws. We especially don't need any more red flag laws. We just need people who have the sound discretion based on a career's worth of experience as a prosecutor to adequately enforce the laws that we have on the
1: books now. Amen to that. We don't need the overbearing regulatory laws to reinforce the laws that are already there, which is what the Washington, what Washington seems to do all the time. And you're right about red flag loss. I'm glad you mentioned that. Now that that has passed at the federal level because, you know, obviously they have to go after the guns, that's going to be a big battle. I know that Oklahoma, that Texas, other states are uh, hunkering down and trying to defend their Second Amendment issues. And we have had a semi-win at the Supreme Court as well with that uh, case coming out of New York. But it is an issue that I think we need to be aware of in Kansas.
3: Yeah, you know, three weeks ago, uh, the the week that gun case came down was also the week that the um, uh, Dobbs case came down overruling Roe v. Wade. And then it was also the week that we had that great school choice case. So it was a really good week for conservatives, finally. And, you know, it's been frustrating, I think, for us as conservatives over the last several decades of having a liberal Supreme Court. You know, we've watched ruling after ruling come down that we were very disappointed in. And now, thankfully, the majority on the United States Supreme Court has, has flipped, and we finally have a conservative court, and we're finally seeing a lot of favorable rulings that we as conservatives are excited about and proud of. Uh, there's the Dobbs case over ruling Roe. There's that gun case. There's the school choice case. It, it's it's we're really starting to see some great developments for conservatives from our U.S.
1: Supreme Court, end. Yeah, it was kind of surprising. We're not used to seeing victories coming out of the Supreme Court, so it was kind of a refreshing thing, especially in the middle of the uh, Biden administration where it seems to be bad news every single day. Last question before we let you go, and I know you're busy and I appreciate the time very much, but with your record, with going after criminal cases and and that sort of thing, we see states like California that are just loosening some of their criminal laws to where if you steal something worth $900 or less, then you're not going to be you know, criminally punished or we're not going to come after you as severely. Is that a concern? Is that kind of mentality going to start sweeping nationwide? And is that something that we need to try and buckle down here within Kansas as well to make sure that, hey, we need to punish criminals if they do something bad?
3: Andy, not only is it a concern, but it's one of the things that inspired me to run. Um, we are at a point in our society right now where we are taking a completely wrong-headed approach to criminal justice issues. If you look at what's going on, we're seeing efforts to defund the police. We're seeing cities that want to become liberal cities that want to become sanctuary cities. We're seeing a profound disrespect for the rule of law. And we're, we've reached the point as a society where in order to be considered socially enlightened, you have to be soft on crime. So we're seeing things like eliminating mandatory minimum sentences and shortening prison sentences and letting people out of prison early. And we're seeing bail reform so that when when individuals are awaiting trial on violent crimes, they're released back into the community. And among while all of this is happening, the violent crime rate in Kansas is up. The murder rate in Kansas has skyrocketed. We had more murders last year in Kansas than we've ever had in the history of the state. And when you look at what's happening, nobody should be surprised by the rise in the violent crime rate when you look at the way that we're treating criminal justice issues. And I think Kansas has the chance. If we select the right attorney general, somebody with a career's worth of experience in criminal justice, I think Kansas can lead the nation in swinging the ship and pointing us back in the right direction on criminal justice issues. And that's what I want to do as attorney general, Andy.
1: Well, you know what? We lead the charge on so many other issues across the nation as well. We're kind of the beacon when it comes to maybe immigration or not an immigration, but election fraud and trying to do election security along with other issues as well. So this could be one that we could be that beacon of light as well uh, for the nation. Tony, I know that you're traveling all around here, but for those that want to reach out to you, that want to meet you, that want to see you on the campaign trail, how can they do so?
3: Andy, we're in Wichita this coming week for uh, three different events. Uh, The major thing is on Thursday evening, uh, there is a debate uh, that's being sponsored by KWCH. Uh, I'm really excited about that. i love the opportunity to debate my opponents. Um, I hope that folks will go to my website. It's www.tonymctv.com. One of the things they will see there is I have endorsements from more than 50 law enforcement leaders across Kansas. There's 20 sheriffs who have endorsed me. The Kansas State Troopers Association has endorsed me. And significantly, Andy, 30 sitting prosecutors in this state have endorsed me, and neither of my opponents has a single endorsement from a sitting prosecutor. I think that speaks volumes about what the prosecutors in this state want and need in their attorney general. So I hope folks will go to www.tonymativi.com, uh, check it out. And I look forward to meeting as many people as I can uh, uh, as we travel around the state campaigning for this very important
1: position. There it is. It's Tony Mativi, candidate for attorney general, TonyMattivi.com. Tony, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. Good luck. I'm, I'm sure we're going to try and talk to you again before the primaries. If not, good luck in the primary elections. And if you do to get that nomination, we'll be talking to you again here soon for the general election. Looking forward to it, Andy. Have a great day. Thanks hey, very much. You as well, my friend. Appreciate that. There it is. Candidate for Attorney General. That's the more hotly contested race in the state. So, your thoughts on that? I want to get your thoughts on the candidates and more. We'll be talking with the other ones here, I believe, over the next couple weeks. We'll see if we have them locked in. I'm not sure or not. When we come back, we got a little bit more time here. I want to take your phone calls. Bottom of the hour. Dave Traubert, Kansas Policy Institute. He'll be joining us here on Kansas Talk in just a little bit as well. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talk or KQAM. the hour. Welcome back into the program. Thanks again to Tony Mativi coming on the show. Great conversation with him. I I tell you, we don't have a big Republican primary for the governor's race, which is good because of how divisive the last one was a couple of years ago that led to Laura Kelly, our Democrat governor, to slip in there. But this one, this is the big one. Now, I will say and I said this a couple weeks ago when I spoke at the Pachyderm Club here in town that regardless of whoever wins that nomination, we have to unite behind them. We have to. Regardless, it is... I love primaries, and I've said this before. Primary elections are the most important election that we could possibly have, because that's what sets the tone for the Republican Party. The platform, the candidacy of what they're going to fight for, The either the, I'm going to lay back and just kind of let things happen, or I'm going to be out there in front and yelling and screaming and doing my thing. The tone of the party is set by the primary elections and who we nominate uh, for a candidate as in the primary. So that's the most important election we could have, but... But, and this is a really big but, after the primary elections, Republicans are horrible at uniting as one to unite behind the candidate, whoever that may be. And that's what's led to a lot of Democrats slipping in afterwards because we have so much emotion in the primaries as that afterwards we have candidates, oh, I hate that guy. I'm not voting for him. I'm either not voting or I'm voting independent or I'm going to go Democrat because the hell with them. And we can't do that. We have three candidates running for attorney general on the Republican side Whoever gets it, we have to unite behind to make sure that we go in and dominate that, because that will be, as I've mentioned before, the most important seat, one of, in the state to battle some of the federal legislation coming from the Biden administration, stopping it in the courts, stopping it with our state government, and allowing us to preserve the freedoms and choices that we can make at the statewide level. All right, when we come back, right around the corner, bottom of the hour break, Dave Traubert, Kansas Policy Institute. What's Governor Kelly doing as she's made some announcements over the last week, spending some more government money? thinking we're going to see some economic incentive. Is it going to work? We'll talk about that when we come back right around the corner. Stay
0: here. Now back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on The Big Talker, KQAM. Darn right on the home stretch here,
1: last half hour of the program, the weekend with Michael Brown right around the corner here on KQAM at 11 o'clock. Stay tuned in for that one. I've told the story. I've met him a couple of times. He's a great guy. He's out of Denver. When I was interning for the great Mike Rosen at 850K away, all the way back in the day, apparently, now that I'm starting to feel old, Uh, He filled in for Mike Rosen a couple of times. That was earlier in his radio career after he had left the Bush administration with the Department of Homeland Security, I believe. And uh, he was uh, just starting out his radio career on one of the other uh, sister stations there at iHeartRadio there in Denver. And he had filled in for Mike Rosen a couple of times. Wonderful individual. He's a really nice, sweet guy. And it's uh, good to have him on the airwaves here on KQAM for the weekend. Every Saturday from 11 till 2. Welcome back into the program. 316-721-8255. talk But we're just going to keep rolling right along here. We've had one heck of a show today. Joe Seiwert, state representative. Tony Mativi. We've had a lot of great conversations, and let's continue it. We're going to step away from the elections for just a second. Uh, earlier this week, there was an announcement made by Governor Kelly. And I had to laugh because she reminded me of, like, a Joe Biden speech. She Didn't really remember what she was doing or where she was at. She didn't remember the name of the business. She was all over the place, and I don't know if she was nervous or if she was giddy or what she was doing. I mean, she obviously speaks like the very, I call her the angry librarian, but uh, she kind of speaks in that stern, soft voice a little bit. But she was announcing the company Panasonic building a near $4 billion electric vehicle factory in DeSoto, Kansas, and all the excitement that it's going to generate building electric vehicle batteries in Kansas. I'm sure those are going to go really well on the agricultural side with farmers and putting that electric vehicle on the, (laughs) that electric battery in the tractor for them to run efficiently. But that was the announcement she made is it's going to bring all this money in, but what does the deal actually entail? Because it's not just that one, but there are, according to the Topeka Capital Journal, eight different possible mega projects that Governor Kelly is trying to work on. So that way she's got something to run on in the election, saying that she's done something outside of just completely screw up the budget and completely screw up uh, during the COVID 19 pandemic. To we'll talk about some of this and more, excited to have the man back on from the Kansas Policy Institute. It is Mr. Dave Traubert. Dave, how are you, my friend? Good, Andy. How are you? I am living the dream. It's good to talk to you again. I tell you, I did chuckle a little bit because she didn't seem like the most authoritative figure when she was making that announcement with Panasonic. Did you see that?
4: No, I, I didn't watch it. I uh, <laughs> I could pretty much predict how it was going to go, and you know, it's I, I guess it's you know, it's nice for the people who are getting the subsidies, but. And this is the problem, and it's not just a Laura Kelly Democrat issue. It's very bipartisan. Uh, government thinks it can make create economic gains by giving away other people's money, and it just has never worked. I mean, that's sub, the subsidy game is what is how Kansas has played economic development for decades, yeah. and we're in our fifth consecutive decade of trailing the national average. The gaps are getting worse. So, I mean. If, if giving money away was the way to drive an economy, we would have the biggest, boomingest economy ever, and it's just not the case.
1: That's true. That's all we do now is just give money away. Uh, first off, talk about the deals of this project here, the Panasonic deal. She yeah. said it's going to bring $4 billion into the economy for the state and 15,000 jobs or 5,000 jobs, whatever she said, the amount of jobs that were going to be here. But why? I mean, mm-hmm. talk about the details of this, this project specifically.
4: Well, so the, the, the bill that was proposed would uh, grant a little over a billion dollars in subsidies if Panasonic uh, invested $4 billion and created 4,000 jobs over time. Now, Kelly has come out and said it's closer to $829 million, I think. But, of course, they won't release the details. Sure. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's still a big number. Uh, and that is only what is coming out of the state checkbook. That's not all the subsidies, and that's another thing we're trying to track down. They are going to be asking uh, for TIF districts on top of. I mean, the city of DeSoto and Johnson Co- Johnson County already gave a TIF to that sunflower development, and now we hear they're going to be going to the city of DeSoto for more taxpayer subsidies. And, and it's only going to continue. They're going to be getting, we think, because it was it was stated in um, a, a number of oblique ways, that there's going to be long-term property tax exemptions, granted probably by the city of DeSoto and Johnson County. It, it's just going to go on and on. And it's not just taxes. Um uh, I don't know if you saw the the announcement, but uh, I'm told that the last person to speak on behalf of the business community was uh, identified as the state's partner in this deal, <laughs> and it's Evergy. Wow. So they are be- – because – I mean, this is one of the reasons a lot of people thought the deal was going to go to Oklahoma, even though they didn't offer enough as much in taxpayer handouts. Uh, Oklahoma has dramatically lowered electric rates because the electric utilities there do a better job of providing a quality service at a better price. Sure. And so now we're trying to trace down how many, uh, you know, what kind of subsidies Evergy is giving to this place. And we know that that is going to result in the rest of us paying higher electric rates. And so that brings us to really one of the big issues with these deals. When they hold the press conference, you get to hear what they're giving out on the front end. They never want to talk about the consequences of their actions, higher property taxes on people, higher electric rates on people. Uh, you're going to have people rushing in. You know, if you get to get the rush for the jobs like they predict, that's going to raise housing prices. It's going to make uh, exacerbate what they say is an affordable housing crisis. Uh, it's going to raise price. There are there's just a one big ripple effect from all these things, and the people who give out subsidies, and this is again, it's bipartisan. They don't ever want to talk about that.
1: It's wild. So now we're getting subsidies handed to them for state taxpayer money from the state government and plus our energy. So our energy that, by the way, is already strained and already going up because they say we have an energy shortage. We're battling this whole green energy movement right now. We're trying to put everything electric already by forcing people to buy these electric vehicles. We have triple digit temperatures right now that's making it hot and just running constantly with the air conditioners. That's going to see some really high electric bills across the entire state and the region with Texas and Oklahoma and everywhere else as well. But we have all that, and that money is going to go towards subsidizing a company to pay them to come here and incentivize them to try and build this plant to hopefully get some revenue down the road.
4: Yeah. You know, and they they talk about, Laura Kelly has has described this as uh, it will transform the Kansas economy. Well, let's look at the data. Um, If we get the 4,000 jobs that Panasonic is promising, that would be three-tenths of 1% of an increase in private and sector employment in the state. That doesn't sound transformational. They said the, the Commerce Department predicts the this will boost GDP for the state by $2.5 billion. Now, you can't ever trust anything the Commerce Department says uh, because this is the Commerce Department that stood in front of the legislature and tried to pretend they didn't know how much this subsidy deal was going to cost. Yeah. They knew damn well what it was. We could do the math. But even if they are right in their $2.5 billion estimate, which is a gross estimate, it would not account for other destruction it would create, that's a 1.3% increase in GDP. We are not talking about economic benefits that are in any way transformational. It doesn't mean that there won't be some benefits from this but there are going to be consequences and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the consequences.
1: Sure. Well, for one point, uh, one point three, one point four, 1.4 whatever you said percent growth there, I mean that's not like you said transformational. Is this a desperate state from the Kelly administration trying to trying to show some type of economic growth or some type of energy in her administration as we get closer to election season?
4: Well, sure, but I mean, it's not just because it's election. Her lieutenant governor, the guy she put in charge of commerce, is, I mean, that's That's how he does business, giving away money. He did that for years down in Allen County as part of the group called Thrive Allen County. And we did the math on all his work, all the subsidies he gave away, all the businesses he destroyed or made less competitive as part of his handouts resulted in population decline and property tax increases for the county. Job loss. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter whether it's these kind of subsidies or star bonds or TIF districts. If you look at all the consequences, everything that changes, you see that in the case of like star bonds, I mean, think about you're in Wichita. Think about the star bond projects out there on the northeast part of the city. There's sure a lot more activity out there as a result of that. But the people in Wichita don't have more money to spend. They're spending money there that they would have spent elsewhere. <laughs> you shift economic activity with these things. You know, there's it's, it's like we, we joke about this all the time, and and it's only half serious. But, you know, you ought to have to ban ribbon cuttings with all these things. Sure. Uh, people, politicians want to line up in both parties and take credit for this stuff, and they refuse to take credit for all the destruction that those – the policies that – create the need to do subsidies to bribe somebody to come in are the policies that are continuing to hurt Kansas and they don't want to change those things. Yeah. You give away subsidies because you're not competitive. We have much higher electric rates and tax rates than we need. We have a too high of a regulatory burden. You have to get the negatives off the resume to make yourself more competitive.
1: That is very true, and I'm glad you mentioned that with the competition because that's what it's all about. When did we get to the point in society as a whole, I guess, but specifically here in Kansas because we're really, really bad at this. Like you just mentioned with some of the star bonds here in the Wichita area for some of the developments. I mean, the baseball stadium we just built a couple of years ago where we found out, oh, yeah, by the way, we just sold like the surrounding acres for their development there for like a dollar a piece trying to incentivize them to actually make this baseball stadium happen. Mm -hmm. Then we look at the Kansas City area, where it's that constant battle between Kansas and Missouri. Who can give away the better subsidy for the headquarters of a corporation to move to the state line on their end for them to have that, quote-unquote, economic success? It's not about anymore the, let's just lower regulations and lower taxes so that way you can profit and benefit as a nation, and that's your incentive Instead, it's, no, no, we're going to keep the taxes high, we're going to keep the regulations high, but we'll pay you money in order for you to come here. To me, that just doesn't make any yeah. logical sense.
4: No, it doesn't. And and you can't, Kansas can't win an economic war where the victor writes the biggest check. Yeah. We just can't. Yeah. You know, it's somebody else is going to write the bigger check and they're going to go there. If you deal with the problems that are making you uncompetitive now you actually have a competitive advantage because you're, you're speeding up permitting time. You're eliminating other kinds of regulations that slow down the process. You're reducing the cost of doing business in taxes and electric rates and everything else. That is a competitive advantage that most cities and states around the country won't be able to match. Sure. But that means to go there, and here's the reason we don't, because that means people in government at all levels,
1: have to change what they do, and they don't want to change. This Change is hard. Yeah, change is hard, very much so. Dave, in your mind, with this transition from just the incentive of lower taxes, less regulation, to now we're going to have the biggest check to give you so you can come here, have we transitioned in society from a capitalist free market society to a crony capitalist society of let's see how deep we can get in with government and incentives in order for us to prosper together as opposed to just a laissez-faire market?
4: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that we've transitioned to it. It's it's certainly part of it. Uh, it is, you know, it's because you have players who don't want to participate in a, a really uh, competitive environment uh, and make themselves more competitive that that they resort to those things.
1: Sure. It is unfortunate. we got a couple of minutes left here. We're talking with Dave Trobert, Kansas Policy Institute. Uh, what other projects? I know the Topeka Capital Journal headline said they're working on eight different mega projects across the state. The Panasonic one was the big one, obviously, with this $4 billion quote-unquote factory and all the incentives there. But what other projects is she trying to work on?
4: Uh, I don't know what they are. And, you know, they, 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 they try to keep that pretty close to the vest. And, you know, I, I understand that. They're trying to negotiate and not negotiate against themselves. But Um, we're, we're not, we're we're just not going to spend and tax our way out of the hole we're in, in Kansas. Uh, we're still, we still have, uh, like 30,000 fewer people working in Kansas today than we did before the pandemic.
1: Yeah. We're still
4: chasing people out of the state who can't afford to live here anymore when they retire.
1: Yeah, that's another issue there. I mean, we're still there's still help signs, help wanted signs all over the state right now uh for small businesses, mm-hmm. but yet these are the big focal points that they want to make to say that they're making a success and making some progress here in the state of Kansas. It's frustrating and now what's the process here real quickly? I mean, is it just something she signs is it something that the legislature has to approve to be able to give these subsidies? How does this process work? Well,
4: the the state finance council uh has to uh, sign off and I believe They did sign off Wednesday afternoon on the deal, which they uh, did behind closed doors, and don't like to be reminded of that. Um, So it's it's a done deal. Um, But elements of the deal will continue to unfold as they go to other local authorities and electric companies and so forth. And and you know a lot of it's probably either in place and not announced or in the process and will be announced soon. So you know now what we have to do. Is is still take a hard look in the mirror and and decide are we going to do the things that are going to make create sustainable growth that is going to allow us to catch up and then grow at least at the national average. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's going to be the challenge because with these types of projects, we're taking a step back just to take a step forward and we're not making a whole lot of gain here. So we'll see how we go. But as you mentioned, I mean, the story will continue to unravel after it's already done. Just like Nancy Pelosi said, we need to pass it to see what's in it. Now we get to see what's going to be in this nice little (laughs) project once it's all said and done, right? Right. That's what it's all about. Dave Traubert, Candace Policy Institute. Dave, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. In about 30 seconds or so here, uh, i got to pick your brain real quickly on the elections with the primaries coming up in August. Are you optimistic, and what's your outlook here for the primary and going into the November election?
4: Well, Andy, I'll preface this with saying KPI doesn't play in the election arena. We don't endorse or oppose candidates, sure. I think. Uh, but there's certainly – these are really, really important elections coming up, the primary and the general um, and and it's I, I guess the best uh, advice I could give uh, folks is before you decide who to vote for, ask them some really pointed questions. For example, hmm. don't say that you do you support education or do you support lower taxes? Because everybody's going to say yes. Right. Ask if you are elected, will you introduce legislation that will say eliminate the income tax on retirees that will hold schools accountable and allow money to follow the child if the child wants to get a better education opportunity make sure you understand who you're voting for and and vote for the candidate you think is, is going to do the best and you have to look long term uh, I heard you made a really good point in your last segment um you know there's the the there there's a tendency to say if my guy didn't win the primary, I'm not going to support the opponent uh, in the general. Uh, You know, unfortunately, elections do come down to sometimes the lesser of two choices that you don't want to make. But if you don't make the choice that is what you might consider the lesser, then the worst one is going to get in office. So you just have to really weigh and look long term.
1: Yeah, Republicans are really good historically at being our own worst enemy because we I love the primary process, but unless we unite after that, then uh, it doesn't matter because then the other side gets in and we just shoot ourselves in the foot anyways. It's an ongoing issue that we need to resolve on the internal family that is called the Republican Party. Dave, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. I'm glad to be able to get you on. Thank you for coming on and talking about these issues. Let's do it again here real soon.
4: All right, anytime, Andy. Thanks.
1: Hey, always a pleasure, my friend. All right, we'll take a break. we got one more segment left here. We'll wrap up the program for a Saturday As we get ready for election season, baby, a couple more weeks here in Kansas, August 2nd is the primary. Are you registered? Are you ready to vote? And let's get this ball rolling. We'll have more candidates coming on the program over the last couple weeks here as well. Leading up to it, we'll take a break, get your phone calls, see if we can squeeze one or two in here as we wrap up today for a Saturday. It's Kansas talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Ready with this program, it goes by way too fast. Just the last minute or so here on the program. Thanks again to all the great guests coming on the show. Tony Mativi, candidate for Attorney General. We had Joe Seiwerk, candidate for State Representative, District 101, the current incumbent from that district as well. We've had on the show many times. Also, Dave Travert coming on. Can you imagine? Hey, groundbreaking, just record breaking numbers and all this great revenue coming in for the state of Kansas with these projects that are going to come into the state. According to Kelly, it's going to be transitional. It's going to be life-changing things here. And then we find out that it's just a bunch of subsidies we're giving away to hopefully return and get about a 1-2% to growth on the GDP in the state after all that. And that's after, by the way, you know, with paying off all all the subsidies and everything else that they're getting as well. Can you imagine that? Good golly. That's the lunacy that we're living in today. That's what they think of individuals uh, that were that stupid. Hey, go ahead and just let's give them money through our energy company that's already jacking up prices because of the energy shortage and the strain on the grid that we're having. You need to pay more so that way they can build batteries for electric vehicles here in the state and hopefully be able to generate some more revenue for the state so the state then can expand their government size and grow and not pass that back on to the consumers. Oh, you got to love government. That does it for us today. Back at it next Saturday for another episode of Kansas Talk. Candidates all lined up, ready to go for us for the next two weeks here on the program. Two more episodes before the primary elections here in Kansas. Back at it on Monday as well for our national broadcast of The Voice Reason. Until then, have a great weekend. Try and stay cool out there. This is Kansas Talk on The Big Talker, KQAM. We'll see you then.